Brenda, for preparing our hearts with that beautiful song. Heavenly Father, we come to your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, again, that we are here because of the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain, your Son. And now, Father, as we open your living word, may we again gain understanding of who you are and how our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in heaven at your right hand interceding for us. Father, I pray you'd give us understanding now, and may we apply it to our hearts and lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me now, then turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Book of Colossians chapter 4, we are finally arriving at the end of our study in the book of Colossians. And we have learned much about Paul's heart, about the church and what God desires of the church through Paul's letter here to the church at Colossae. Well, we're going to look at the last few verses of the chapter, chapter 4, beginning of verse 12 through 18. I want to read it again, though we just had a reading uh, responsibly. I want to read through it one more time, if you'll follow along. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, also Demas, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul... Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Here Paul finishes his letter and he names a few other uh, people that are dear to him who send greetings with Paul. Uh, we notice that he finishes the letter by sending greetings from Luke and a man named Demas. And then he concludes here with a word of encouragement to Archippus. Archippus was believed to be a minister at the church at Colossae, like he was one of the elders or pastors. And so that's why Paul would say and tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. But what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on one man in this passage. Because I think this particular man uh, can speak to our hearts through what we read about him and his character and how God used him. 
And so he is mentioned in verse 12 and 13. So we are going to look at those two verses this morning, only two. But it concerns this man, Epaphras. Verse 12 and 13. Now, as you see in verse 12, Paul wrote, Epaphras, who is one of your number. So in other words, he came from the church at Colossae. He was one of them. A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you greetings. What does that tell you? It tells us that Epaphras is with Paul in Rome, ministering to him while Paul is in prison. So he's ministering over in Rome. He left the church at Colossae to minister to Paul. And so Paul's sending his greetings back to the church. Uh, and and uh, <clears throat> this uh, man is, is, is sending greetings uh, to, the, to the church. But here we see that Epaphras is what? A bond slave of Jesus Christ. A bond slave of Jesus Christ. There are a few passages we won't turn to, but a few other passages that mention Epaphras and what he was uh, <clears throat> to the, the Apostle Paul. Paul called him a bond slave or a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any more glorious title that you and I could have than someone saying, you are a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ. I can see it in your life. I can hear it in your voice by the way you live, the way you talk. Or if any of us uh, are, are, are mentioned to others, would they say of us, yes, that person is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. They are sold out to, to the Lord Jesus. And so we come to this man here who is a, a considered a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and he sends his greetings. But now we find something very unique about Epaphras. We find out that he is a man of prayer. He is a man of prayer, but just not ordinary praying. Notice what he says. Paul writes concerning Epaphras, the rest of verse 12. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. In all the will of God. From those words, we understand something. That Epaphras was a man that was interceding for the saints. His prayers were prayers of intercession to the Lord for the church, God's people. But he, his intercessory prayer was so fervent. And, and so, so deep, notice that Paul said, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Always earning, uh, 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 always uh, 
laboring earnestly for you. The word intercede, uh, many of you know what that means. But basically in the Greek, it means to pray or petition on someone's behalf. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom? Raise your hand. Wow. Almost everybody. I hope it's all jury work. But, um, <laughs> but you know, in a courtroom, right? If, if, if you are put on trial, what do you need? You need to find a defense lawyer. Someone who's going to represent you and going to uh, stand before the judge on your behalf and petition for you with what evidence, whatever evidence they have. And they're pleading with the jury, with the judge, for you to be freed. This is what the Greek word for intercede means. It's interesting that if you have an NIV translation, if you look at the translation there, it's translated wrestling in prayer for you. Wrestling in prayer for you. I want us to understand what kind of prayer life this man had. That, and this word, uh, by the way, we, we have the two words in here. Uh, now, NIV uses wrestling, but other translations have, as mine does, laboring earnestly. So other translations will use two words. But it, in reality, there's just one Greek word here, okay? And the Greek word here is agonize, from where we get our English word, to agonize. And it means to, for someone to fight, to strive, or to struggle. It has the idea of, of physically straining uh, for something. And it was many times used to describe those who were in the Olymp Olympics, the Olympian Games in Greece, that, that all the runners, to reach that finish line, and I lo love that uh, Brother Greg Firestone, uh, how he brought that idea of we are running a race for the Lord Jesus Christ as we fix our eyes on him. But we need to strive to do that. We must run that race with agony, with agony. And that is exactly what this man, Epaphras, was doing in prayer. You know, you and I will pray for someone. And I know we have many of you who are intercessors for our church family. Many of you will take a need. You'll look at the bulletin, see the prayer request. You're on the prayer chain and you, you receive something. You begin praying for that person. You're interceding for them. You're going on, on their behalf to God. So we become like the lawyers representing a, a beloved brother in, or sister in Christ. And we go before the Lord. But I have to ask myself, how many times when I bring someone to the Lord in my prayer life, and I'm going to pray on their behalf, how many times do 
do I come and pray to the point where I am agonized? To the point where I, I, I am just so stressed, I'm pouring myself into that prayer that I have such a deep love for that person because they are a child of God. You see, that's, I believe, the key to Epaphras' prayer life is that he loved the family of God. And therefore, his love, he had caused such a burden for his brothers and sisters who are persecuted and others who are, are maybe being tested in their faith. And we see here, again, here in the end of verse 12, he says, He's always laboring earnestly for you, agonizing, again that word, for you in his prayers. And what's he praying for? What is he, as he intercedes for them in prayer, he agonizes over this. He asks the Lord that God's people would stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. That word perfect there basically means complete. Sometimes some of you have a translation where it says complete, or it means to mature in your spiritual life. So he is praying that the churches back in Colossae, the church back in Colossae, the believers there, would be standing complete and fully in all the will of God. What's he trying to say there? Basically, he's saying, I'm praying that you would know the will of God and live it. How would they know the will of God and live it? It's right here. You and I. Have a copy of it right here. The word of God. This is how he, he wants the people to live according to God's word. That he would be living in, they would be living in such a way that, that everybody can tell that they are grounded. They're standing firm in the word of God and in the will of God. You see, if I'm not in this book and you and I are not in this book, then... How am I going to discern the will of God? I know the Holy Spirit will show us, but it has to be in light of what the Holy Spirit shows us through the word of God. So here we have a man who is persistent in his prayer life, but he's praying to where it begins to hurt. He prays in such a way that he, he, he actually feels pain and agony as he's pouring his heart out on behalf of those back in his home church, Colossae. He's pouring himself out. And what I want to do as we, we look at this man, because look at verse 13. For I bear him witness. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul bearing witness for you and me? For I bear witness that he has a deep concern for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis as well. He has a concern. It's also translated zeal instead of concern. He had a zeal for the people. 
a deep concern for the people. And I think, again, he, his, he was motivated by his love for God and love for his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want us to kind of get an understanding here this morning of what intercessory prayer really is. How we can be like Epaphras. That we can have a prayer life where we get to the point in our prayers where the Holy Spirit is, is, is filling us and helping us to pray. And we pour out our heart on behalf of someone else to the point where it's painful. Where we have such a deep concern and praying, oh God, please answer this prayer. Now through scripture... Uh, we have the biblical record of many who have interceded in prayer on behalf of others. And in the remaining time we have, I want us to look at some of those. Okay, so we, we kind of get a view of some of these uh, individuals who interceded for someone else. And this is what God wants of every single one of us today. Every believer should be an intercessor for others. Turn to Exodus 17 with me, if you will. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, all the way back there in chapter 17. And we're going to pick it up at, <clears throat> at verse 8. Now, this is when the Israelites suddenly were battling Amalek. And the Amalekites, okay? So the Amalekites came to fight against Israel. So look at verse 8 with me, Exodus 17. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow... I will station myself on the top of the mountain with a staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So I want you to picture this. The battle has begun in the valley. And there on this mountain that overlooks the valley is standing Moses. And Moses is standing there with Aaron, another man named Hur. And what are they doing on top of the mountain? Is Moses just saying, I'm going to be up there and I'm going to watch the battle and just hope it turns out. Sometimes that's the way we pray. I know I do sometimes. My prayers don't, I'm not praying earnestly, or um, my spirit isn't deeply involved in my prayer. And so that, that it's almost like I stand on the mountain and I'm looking and, and I say a prayer and say, well, I hope things turn out okay. No. What is he doing up there? He's praying for victory, for Joshua and the Israelites. Look at verse 11. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. 
And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. This is a very strange story. We don't understand why God worked this way, but he wanted, Moses knew this is what God wanted him to do. He wanted to stand on, God wanted him to stand on the mountain, pray for Joshua and his men, and the sign of his prayer was lifting up his hand, or both hands. That he was lifting up his hands, and when the Jews would lift up their hands, it was usually a sign of praise or they were praying. And so he's lifting up his hands in prayer, interceding for Joshua and the people. When his hands were up, they began to win. But when they, the, his hands and arms got tired and started to drop, that's when Amalek began to win. How many of you remember that... Uh, I, those of you who are in military, uh, did you ever have to do that thing where they they made you hold out? If you 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 know the sergeant or somebody wanted you to hold hold something like a rock or something, and you had to stand there, and he said, "Now just hold it," and you had to uh, had to, and 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 the soldier would have to uh, hold that as kind of like a punishment for something he did or didn't do. And suddenly his arm would get tired, but he, if he dropped it, there were more consequences. If his arm went down, he had to hold it up. And you know how tough it is to hold something up. Moses, you can imagine how long the battle was lasting. Moses couldn't keep his hands up any longer. And so how wonderful is this? Verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. How wonderful is that? He had two people helping him intercede. And they were upholding the arms of Moses that the battle may be won. They were part of the intercessory, intercessory prayer. By what they were doing, they knew that, that this was Moses interceding for the people, and we had to keep those arms up. So in essence, they were praying along with Moses. And sometimes God may want you and me to be an Aaron. Or her and someone who is in ministry that we may come along and help lift their arms so they can continue to to serve the Lord and minister in his name and I can say from personal experience that that is what Jonestown Bible Church family has done for me as, as your shepherd as your shepherd you through your prayers through your words of encouragement your help along the way, whether it was financial or some other way, helping us uh, with a need or something. It's as if you were lifting up my hands to keep them up, that I might serve the Lord and intercede for you as I pray for you. 
But we, we take Moses here as an example of intercession. But then we also have him intercess, intercessory prayer in Exodus 32. So if you go over to chapter 32 now, Exodus 32. Okay. And uh, this, is, this is the story of how Moses went up in the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. But he was up there a long time, and you remember what they, we won't take time to read it all, but remember what the, the people began to do? They, they waited, they waited, no Moses, he's up in that mountain. They decided to build and make a, a golden calf. And they used it as an idol for worship. And so suddenly they allowed idolatry right in front of Mount Sinai. And so Moses comes down off the hill and sees all this. And God is going to punish his people. He's, uh, look at verse 9. Exodus 32, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. Did you know that God said to Moses, I'm going to make of you? He said that to Abraham. But now he's saying, okay, well, I'm going to wipe out the, Jew, the Jews that I created and I'm going to start a, a new holy nation through you, Moses, through your descendants. Look at verse 11. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why doth thine anger burn against thy people, whom thou hast brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he, God of Israel, brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to destroy them from the face of the earth? Then, then Moses says this to God. Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm to thy people. That word change is also translated as repent, that God would repent. But it, remember, the word repentant has the idea of, of a change of mind, turning your mind and going another way, changing your mind. And so he's pleading with God. And then he says in verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou didst swear to by thyself, and didst say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. You see, all of a sudden Moses is saying uh, to God, he's saying, Remember your promise? Yeah, I know they deserve to be wiped out. They deserve your punishment and wrath. But he's pleading. He's interceding for the people, saying, I know they've sinned, but Lord, have mercy upon them. You gave them a promise. Back, you gave Abraham a promise. Lord, would you keep it? And look at the next verse. Verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Again, some translations say the Lord repented. 
in his mind. But remember, it's, this is a, God, God doesn't repent like of sin, that sort of thing. But it, it has the idea of changing your mind about something. And suddenly, God was waiting for Moses to intercede for the sinful people. And this reminds me of those brothers and sisters who are out there right now, and they are having a tough time. They're battling with sin. They're trying to, to uh, maybe they've confessed their sin, but they're still struggling. They're, they're trying to deal with it. They're, they're locked in a habit of sin, a certain sin that, that kind of changed them. We have the great responsibility to pray for them, to intercede for them. Not just for those who are sick in our congregation, but how about those who may be wayward from the Lord? Those who are prodigals, those who are out there, and they feel like they blew it so bad that the Lord doesn't want them anymore, that the Lord can't use them anymore. And it just reminds me, uh, and we talked about it last Wednesday night in our men's Bible study. Uh, we talked about Peter and his denial of the Lord Jesus, that he didn't know him. And how many times did Peter deny Christ? Three, right? Three times he denied Christ. But then after the resurrection, Jesus met them on the beach. And as he sat down for breakfast with them, he had a one-on-one -on -one with Peter Remember what he said to Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, well, I couldn't use the, that word agape, which was the word Jesus was using, which was the, the greatest form of love. He, uh, he responded, well, Lord, you know I like you a lot, which means, you know, more like a friendship kind of love. Because Peter had already denied the Lord. He figured, I'm not going to put myself out there and say, say that, yes, Lord, I love you with all my heart more than anything else in the world. And then Jesus asked him three times. And what was Jesus doing? He was restoring Peter when Peter was out, back out fishing, figured the Lord's done with him. I ruined myself with my sin, my life, and I denied the Lord. He'd, what can he do with me? There are people that you know that you can pray for. And I know some of you are. You're interceding for loved ones, maybe. Who, the loved ones who don't know the Lord, you're praying for their salvation. You're interceding for them. And there are others, but be, you're praying for the Christian friend or loved one you know who is really struggling with their faith, with doubts, with sin, whatever it is. They need you and I to go and intercede before the Father. But how do we do it? We have to do it with a burning heart, with a deep concern, and do it fervently. The fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. And this is, that's what Epaphras was to the church. He was one that was a righteous man earnestly interceding for the people. As we wrap it up here, we must remember ultimately that brings us encouragement concerning intercessory prayer. 
is that Jesus Christ is interceding for you and me. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and me. We read in Hebrews 7, 25. Hence also he, Jesus, is able to save those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus. Since he, Jesus, always lives to make what? Intercession for us. Did you know that the Son of God at the right hand of the Father is praying for you right now? That as you go and struggle through your life, the Son of God is interceding on your behalf to the Father. And as you have your troubles and trials and struggle, the Lord Jesus is asking the Father, Father, help them. Have mercy upon them. And the Lord Jesus intercedes for us. But not only the Lord Jesus, but the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26, 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, does somebody know what's next? With groanings too deep for words. There's that fervent prayer, that pouring out of your heart to the point where it hurts. And you're, you, but we know that the Spirit, as we pour out our heart in prayer for someone else, our, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us before the Father as well as the Son. Verse 27, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is, for he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't it wonderful when someone comes to you and says, I'm, I'm praying for you. I know your situation. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. What that does to your heart. But remember this, dear loved one, that Jesus is interceding, praying for you. And so is the Holy Spirit inside you as you pray. The Holy Spirit will take, sometimes you're so hurt, you're so burdened down that you, you can't even put into words your prayer. It is then that the Holy Spirit will take what you're feeling and he'll take it to the Father and says, this is what your child is trying to say. And he intercedes on our behalf. How beautiful that is. Let's this week be determined to change our prayer life and become intercessors for others with a fervent heart. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord this morning, dear Christian, perhaps the Lord is speaking to your heart right now. And you realize that your own personal life, there's something missing in your prayer life. That you haven't had that fervency you haven't had that earnest burden and deep concern for those you are praying for would you ask god to give you that kind of heart he will he will and he will use your prayer and that he might minister through your intercession to those who you're bringing to him ask for that heart that burning heart to intercede for others. If you're here this morning without Christ, we invite you to accept the Savior right where you sit. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, 
He died for you on that cross. You can trust him and accept him by faith right now. Just pray this simple prayer with me, with heads bowed. Just open your heart, and uh, by praying a prayer like this, but you are, it's just a prayer of confessing your faith in him now. Pray along with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ this morning, you prayed a prayer like that, you trusted Christ, you are now born again spiritually. You're born into the family of God. And we welcome you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking once again to our hearts through the truth of your word. Father, thank you for any decisions that have been made. We give you the glory for it all as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.